We'll do the last half of that today. Uh, we'll do a little bit of review and look back on it. Because um, what David describes here in his life could certainly describe us today. And we're going to talk about in this last half how God protects his children even in times of adversity. And he is always faithful and he always protects us. And uh, he doesn't just do it when it's easy or when times are good. He does it even in the very rough times. And uh, the Jews are going through some really rough times right now, aren't they? And uh, the news, boy, it's just hard to watch and uh, to think about all of that. And I think about uh, the, uh, when we think about the, the country being so small, it's only about the size, the whole country about the size of the state of Rhode Island. Uh, that's not very big at all. And their population is not as large as ours. And uh, when they talk about what Israel has been through being their 9-11, well, we lost, you know, 3,000, almost 4,000 people on 9-11. If you do it by the percentage of population, that would be uh, what Israel has gone through would be like us losing 30 or 40,000 people instead of 3,000. And so uh, chances are... Some of the people that we met in Israel, our guide and others, probably know some of those people that have been killed or that have been held hostage. And uh, their army is a high percentage of their population. I understand 45% of their people are in their army reserves. And so they're being called up and all of those things that are going on. I heard a, a Jewish person talking about that lives in Tel Aviv talking about uh, having to talk to their kids about it. No, that's not thunder that you hear. And uh, how do you explain that to a child? And yet they felt like they needed to know because uh, if things get really rough, they may have to run to a shelter or something like that. Boy, those kind of things that you just don't deal with in everyday life around here, do you? And uh, we think about all of that and then we think that that's been their norm for thousands of years always somebody wanting to attack them always somebody wanting to conquer them always somebody wanting to even worse than that to just wipe them out and uh, don't make any mistake about it Iran is behind this and the Iranian government has said publicly on several occasions that their goal is to annihilate the nation of Israel and all of the Jews and um, when I heard that, I thought, that is horrible, that is terrible, and it ought to be taken seriously. Uh, when you hear people like that say those kind of things, they mean it. Don't, don't just, oh, they don't mean that. No, they mean it, just like Hitler did and other people did as well. But then at the same time, I thought, Lord, this is a great opportunity for you to glorify your name, to show your power as you protect your people and you protect the land that you have given to them and you fulfill all of your promises to the Jewish people. You do realize that a majority of the people in Israel, don't, they're not really religious. They don't really believe in God, which is astounding to me. And uh, maybe this is one of those things that the Lord will use to draw many people to their Messiah. And that's certainly what uh, we would pray for. And so uh, these troubled times, when you think about uh, how interesting it is that anti-Semitism always kind of rises up and that there are always people who hate the Jews who want the land. Now, make no mistake about it, back when in the 1940s, 
when Israel became a nation and even going back before that when the, the Balfour Declaration and I think 1917 declared that area to be a homeland for the Jews uh, understand this nobody wanted it there was no oil in the land of Israel it was mainly desert even today it's 60% desert and uh, yet when uh, they went over there the Palestinians could care less about that land their land that was given to them was the nation of Jordan now and uh, then when the Jews started making the desert bloom, as the Bible prophesies, and they started, I mean, it's astounding when you see some of the cities before and after, even from like the 50s and the 60s, as opposed to today. Man, it has grown and blossomed, and it is astounding how different it is. Well, now they want it. And now they are saying, we were kicked out of here and they try to say that uh, the Jews have no heritage in that land, and yet <laughs> everywhere you dig, uh, you, you come up with some artifact that shows the ancient uh, people of Israel that had been there thousands of years before, uh, but nothing, no record of the Palestinians or anything like that. In fact, even the name Palestine was given by the Romans when they were destroying that land and destroying Jerusalem, it's a uh, derivative of the Philistines. Well, you know your Bible well enough to know that was an insult. The land of the Philistines is what Palestine means. And um, so they still call it that, trying to say that we own it and they're the oppressors and all of that type of thing. And uh, I get a little miffed, being honest, at some of these people that try to say that you know, Israel is the real oppressor and the aggressor and the terrorist here. And people that march in the streets and even in our capital. Some of our representatives have, uh, one of them in particular, has a Palestinian flag on the outside of her office. And uh, will not take a stand against the killing of little babies, the rape of children, and the beheading even of children and that type of thing. How in the world do you make any moral equivalence in all of that I know Israel is not perfect and I know that there are things that they probably have done wrong just like our country and just like we do but uh, to say that they're on the same level as Hamas boy I just don't get it so we need to pray as David instructed us for peace in Jerusalem right so what was David going through in Psalm 12 nobody knows but if you will go back and look at verse 1, and we'll read the verses we looked at last night. I mean, this is a psalm that is written to the chief musician uh, on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. And he says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. They're being canceled, as we would say. They're being put out of uh, business. They're made irrelevant and they are exiled, maybe. I don't know. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. We talked about that last night. It seems like David is saying they're just kind of fading away. He doesn't know who he can trust. He doesn't know who's telling him the truth. He doesn't know who's right. He doesn't know who's wrong. He doesn't know who is giving him good advice or somebody who might be working behind the scenes to manipulate him. I mean, kings... We're in a precarious situation. We all might say like the old song, it's good to be king, 
But uh, maybe if you were sitting on the throne and you had to make those decisions and they were all arbitrary like that, there are times that would be nice when you had absolute power, but there were times when you had to own all of your mistakes and there were always there was always somebody who was after your job. Now remember, with a king, it was not a political thing where you might lose a campaign or something like that. The only way to get uh, rid of a king or replace a king was to kill him. So there were always death threats. And that's why they would have food tasters and people like that because somebody might try to poison them. They had to always be on guard. And so uh, David is probably thinking about all of that. Who is it that I can trust? Who is it that is uh, working for my benefit? Who wants to kill me? Who is sabotaging my decisions? What's going on? And uh, maybe this is happening as David grows older. Some of his advisors die, maybe in battle, or maybe they die of old age. And he says, the godly man ceases and the faithful disappear. They're just kind of fading away. And uh, we made the point, that kind of sounds like 21st century America, doesn't it? Where are the godly people? Where are the people that really care about our nation, about our society, about our culture, about our morality, and those type of things? They certainly seem to be fading away because godly people and people with uh, any kind of understanding of the times and any kind of, uh, I'll just call it sanity, uh, don't want to speak up anymore. They're a little bit afraid. What do people think? What, what will happen? Will it cause trouble? Will it stir up contention or strife or anything like that? Will it cost me my job? Those kind of things, we see little pieces of that. And uh, that is probably only going to get worse as we get closer to the return of the Lord. The faithful disappear from among the uh, sons of men. And then we noticed in verse 2 just how arrogant they are. They speak idly. Everyone with his neighbor, just stuff that doesn't matter, worthless stuff and a senseless type of stuff. And we live in a very senseless society right now. Very little makes sense. And then it says, with flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. So they'll say whatever they think you want to hear. And they'll build you up whether they mean it or not. And that double heart means that uh, they could go either way. They might be telling the truth or they might not. You never know uh, where they really are. With a double heart, they speak. And then uh, David says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Well, that would expose them, wouldn't it? And the tongue that speaks proud things. And, and then it describes them in the verse 4. Uh, these are the people who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, and our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? In other words, we can talk our way out of anything. That tells us about their pride and their intellectual ability. Maybe they were very smart, but not smart enough to outwit God or anything like that. Not smart enough to really know the future. Not smart enough to really know everything that they ought to do. But they thought they were and they thought they could say anything and do anything because who is Lord over us now again without going into everything we did last week that sounds just exactly like the world and the culture in which we live uh, just not much different history does tend to repeat itself and so even though this was thousands of years ago that David wrote this we can identify with David and we can kind of 
look at his situation and say, that sounds like where we live. And so the psalm makes a pretty drastic uh, change here as we get to verses 5 through 8. And uh, let's, let's go ahead and start reading there. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now you remember that number seven in the Bible is the number of completion or the number of perfection. And so uh, he's saying that the word of the Lord is like silver that has been as pure, made as pure as it possibly can be, completely pure. That's how the Lord describes his words. Verse 7, you shall keep them, O Lord, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. I bet you every person in the nation of Israel could say amen to those last couple of verses because they are actually seeing that. Wicked is prowling around them, invading them, taking them where they don't want to go, doing things they don't want to participate in, costing them more than they could ever imagine. And uh, who knows how all of this is going to come out because uh, there are more people around this and, and behind this than just the people of Hamas. There were other nations like uh, Iran and maybe Russia, maybe China are manipulating or funding some of these kind of things. And then when you factor in the oil situation and the energy situation, I feel like I'm back in 1973 and I'm 13 again. And I think about all of the gas lines and uh, those times when you see gas stations. Remember this when it said no gas today? And then other times we were living in California then where we would go, uh, even on the uh, military post we were at and go to the PX gas station and you could only get gas on odd and even days depending on your tag number. Remember those times? And then we went to Germany and we were in Berlin and it was worse in Europe and they even instituted a Sunday driving ban. And so that meant if we were going to go to church we had to take a city bus and it was eerie going through the streets of Berlin without any cars except for emergency vehicles and public transportation. Just a strange, strange time. And then uh, that's when they started downsizing all of the cars and uh, making them look... Remember those, some of those cars that came out then? And uh, they would take like a, a real beautiful, wonderful, classic Grand Prix and then they cut it down to this little rectangular-shaped box with a little engine in it and those, those things like that. Remember Pintos and Vegas and those kind of things? Oh, how about the, the AMC Gremlin and the Pacer, that thing that looked like a pregnant roller skate? And uh, all of those things. The 70s were kind of rough times, weren't they? Remember when they uh, dropped the speed limit down to 55? Can you even begin to imagine driving 55 uh, all the time? Well, I, I don't think very many people even did it back then, but that was the law. I got stopped one time when I was doing uh, 65 and a 35, and um, 
Somebody said to me, you know, if you go before the judge, they'll go easier on you. And uh, my dad was standing there and he goes, he'll do it. And so uh, my dad and I went to uh, court and uh, the, uh, it, it was really uh, the providence of God I saw in all of that because I was nervous about everything and I uh, didn't know what it was going to cost me or what was going to happen. And uh, there was a guy, his name was Elvin Mills, and he had uh, done something worse than me and he was on the docket right before me and he had to go up and explain to the judge, he had a pretty hot car, and he had to uh, explain to the judge why it was he jumped a curb and crashed his car into somebody's house. And so I was like, well, I, at least I didn't do that. And so when I uh, got up before the judge, he starts uh, asking me what was going on. And I told him and I said, well, you know, they just started a new housing edition over there. And I didn't know that they dropped the speed limit. And he goes, oh, that's fair enough. That can happen. And then he goes, 65 in a 35. He said, uh, and this is 1977 maybe, and he says, Son, is there anywhere in the United States of America where it's legal to drive 65? And that's one of those things where you go, busted, busted. Remember those days? Remember what that was like? And it's almost like we're having a repeat of those kind of things and corruption and Things that we hear in stupidity sometimes that we see out of politicians and a lot of uh, immorality and everything. Uh, David could look at our times and say, I can understand what you guys are going through. And we can look at David and say, we can kind of understand what you are going through. Some of the specifics may be different, but it's the same kind of feeling. Is there anybody wise? Is there anybody godly? Where are the people that I can trust? Who's telling me the truth? How do I know if they're telling me the truth? What are their real motives? Are they double-minded? The Bible says a double-minded man won't receive anything from God. We're to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. But man, that is hard in the culture in which we live. And yet that's what we're commanded to do. And so we've got to cry out to the Lord because He really is our only hope and He is our protection. And that's kind of where we find ourselves today. And we're going to use that theme, God protects His people. And number one, think about this. God protects His people with a watching eye and a listening ear. He's not distant. distant pardon me, distant, he's not far off, he's not uh, uh, ambivalent, he is not uh, distracted, he is not focused on something else. He has his eyes on his people and his ears, the Bible says, are open to their cry. And even in this situation, notice um, it says, For the oppression of the poor and for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord." And I will set him on the safety for which he yearns. So this is, um, in my mind, an answer to prayer. The, the sighing and the groaning. Uh, it reminds me of when the children of Israel were in Egypt. And God said that he heard the groaning of his people. He heard their moaning and he heard their misery. And he saw that and so he sent Moses and he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. This sounds vaguely familiar uh, to that. The Lord is watching. He's not unaware of what's going on in your life, whether it's a personal battle, where it's a, whether it's an internal spiritual battle, or whether it is something going on in the whole culture. God knows. 
And I think about Jesus where he said things like, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And he says, I want you to be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. And, uh, you know, sometimes you read that and you go, Lord, your battle strategy lacks a little bit. That's not the way we do things down here. But that's the way God wants it to be. And that's the way God works. It's in our weakness that he is made strong. And I notice as I think about the situation that David described, that certainly they would cry out to God. Who else are you going to cry out to? And I think that there are times in our life that God begins to hem us in and begins to put the squeeze on us and to move us to a place where we don't look at uh, any other options because we don't see anything else. David is looking at this and he said, the godly cease and uh, those who are faithful are just vanishing away. And uh, that's not always bad. It feels bad. It seems bad, but it's not always bad. And here's why. Because sometimes when we don't have those other options, it causes us to look to God. And David is kind of having the squeeze put onto him. Maybe he had been paying too much attention to his counselors. Maybe he had been, uh, instead of seeking the Lord like he should, maybe it's when so-and-so says, that's a good idea, David. David would have all kinds of confidence and, and feel good about things. And maybe he wasn't looking to the Lord like he should. Now, I don't know that for sure. That's a little bit of speculation. And the reason I speculate on that is because I have been that way and all of us have been that way as well. There are some times that the old saying says, when you come to the place that he's all you have, you find he's all you need. Well, I don't like getting to that place. I struggle about getting to that place. I like having options. I like having things a little more wide open than that. And yet there are those times When the Lord just says, you're not walking by faith. You're not walking with me. You're using me as a last resort. You're using me as a crutch instead of me being your life and directing your steps. And so I will teach you something through this trial and through this pressure, this tribulation that comes into your life, this stress that comes into your life. And then you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Getting to that place of seeking the Lord with all your heart, as he says in the book of Jeremiah, is a difficult thing for all of us. We lean to our own understanding. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Why? Because that's exactly what we do. We think we've got it figured out. We think we know the way. We think we can get out of this situation and God says no I love you too much to let you do that and I'm going to teach you how powerful I am how loving I am and how sufficient I am so these people that are mentioned in these verses they are desperate desperate when you find these words used in here this is not the kind of thing that says well I'm poor meaning well my money's a little tight but basically I do everything that I want to do I wish I could do more can't afford a cruise and I can't afford to send my kids to college but I can do about anything else I want to do I can run by McDonald's I can get a pizza I can um, have air conditioning in my house and all of those kind of things that's not what this is talking about people back in David's day that were poor were really, 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 really poor. They were poverty-stricken. They were almost to the point of uh, begging for their food. They didn't have any other options. They didn't have any other way to go. 
And uh, you think about the lady that came to the prophet Elijah. And she said, I don't have anything left, but, um, you know, I've got enough flour to make a a cake for me and my son and enough oil to put it together. And we're going to eat that and then we're going to die. And remember, that's when uh, Elijah said, you know, I'm going to come to your house and uh, have supper with you. That's a weird thing to do with a poor person. But all of the time that Elijah was with her, she had enough and she was able to feed the prophet and take care of her family as well. But that's a desperate, desperate situation. And that's where they are. And I thought about the fact that maybe we don't see more of our prayers answered because we just haven't reached the point of desperation we haven't reached the point yet to where we are fully dependent upon God to where he is the only thing that we have and so many times we pray about it because it's the right thing to do it's a nice thing to do and we know that we should and we do but we really have in our minds even while we're praying oh God help me we're working on our own plan we're working on our own schemes and we're figuring out how we can do it in the flesh And so uh, that's the first thing that struck me, that many times we go, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? And he goes, I haven't. I'm watching and I'm listening, but you haven't gotten to the place yet to where you are fully dependent upon me. And again, I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying that is very difficult. Flesh hates that. Humans hate that. But that's exactly where we need to be, and that's where a loving God is taking us so he takes us to those desperate times and those desperate hours i think of psalm 33 18 behold the eye of the lord is on those who fear him but there are not many people that have a real healthy fear of god an honor of god a respect of god a a dread of of what he can do and his discipline and that type of thing we don't really think about that we emphasize the love of god and the love of jesus so much to the point that we don't really see him as being a God who corrects us and a God who is displeased with sin and things like that. Psalm 116 verses 1 and 2. Um, I hope this is your testimony. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me and therefore I will call on him as long as I live. And that's really where we need to be, where all of our life, every part of our life, every day of our life, every situation in our life is a prayer. Paul said to pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean we drive with our eyes closed and crash into things because we were praying. It means that we are conscious of God in every situation. In every problem, every trial, every heartache, every burden, everything that seems to be unjust and unfair and weird and out of whack, whether it's on the news or whether it's in your life, is an opportunity to call upon the Lord. And I want to encourage you to call upon the Lord. His ear is inclined to you because you're his child. And keep praying, keep praying. Be like the persistent widow that Jesus told us about in that parable that kept going before the unjust judge until the unjust judge said, finally, yeah, I give in, I I, I surrender, I quit. And And God is not an unjust judge our God is willing to answer our prayers but he also wants us to mean it he wants us to be sincere and he wants us to be faithful and he wants us to keep coming to him he has perfect timing but in the meantime keep on 
coming to him and going to him, trusting in him because you will learn and you'll grow in that. Okay? Number two, the Lord protects his children by keeping his word. How familiar are you with the promises of God? Sometimes we take promises and we try to claim them. I saw our friend Justin Peters the other day that uh, he had taken grandkids to the uh, uh, park and he decided he was going to try to take Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me out of context like football players and other people do and try to climb up. Well, he has cerebral palsy. He can barely walk. And uh, he said, nope, it, it didn't work. And yet so many people, they're always saying, oh, you can do it. You can make a lot of money. You can be a sports hero. You can uh, do all kinds of things. You can endure this because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Actually, what Paul was saying, if you'll read up a few verses, he said, I've, I know how to be hungry and I know how to be full. And uh, he talked about all of the good things and all of the bad things. And he said, I can do all of these things through Christ. In other words, what that verse is talking about, you can endure persecution. You can endure hardship. You can endure anything that falls in the will of God. It's not a verse that says, I can do anything I want to do and be the best at it and uh, overcome every single thing in my life. There are some things in your life that God has put upon you as a limitation so that you won't walk through the wrong doors. There are some things that you just are not going to be able to do. I doubt anybody in here would qualify to play in the NBA. Okay, That doesn't mean we can't do anything for the Lord. It just means that's one thing that we don't have to worry about. We don't really even have to pray about that. Lord, should I play professional basketball and make millions of dollars? I don't even have to worry about that, and neither do you. And there are a lot of things like that where we have, as the, Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia, I've set an open door before you. And then he also said in that same passage, I shut doors that no one opens. And I open doors that no one shut. And our problem is, I think so many times we're knocking on the doors that he's closed. We're trying to pry them open. We're trying to make that kind of thing happen and calling it faith when faith would really be seeing the open door, walking through the open door and doing it with good cheer, doing it with the joy of the Lord, doing it with faithfulness and diligence and doing it for the glory of the Lord. But again, we have trouble with that because we like to try to claim promises that maybe they don't mean exactly what we think they mean. Find out what they mean. And, but the ones that really do apply to us, and there are plenty of them in the Word, it says the words of the Lord are pure words. He doesn't mislead you. He doesn't mess up. He's not mistaken about anything. He doesn't get something wrong. He doesn't forget details. What if you were trying to make... I don't know, a cake or a batch of cookies or something like that. And uh, as you were putting all of it together, you got most of the ingredients in there in mostly the right proportion. Uh, how do you think that's going to come out? And probably not going to be real good. And the Lord never forgets all of the ingredients. He never forgets the proportions. He never forgets the timing. I mean, you might get the cookies right, put them in the oven and say, okay, if barbecue is good low and slow, I bet cookies would be good low and slow. So I'm going to put them in the oven for 12 hours like I do a brisket in the smoker. Yeah? That's probably not going to work. Understand this, that as the Lord is ordering your steps, as He is using you, as He is perfecting you and sanctifying you, 
and purifying you, he knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows he gets the recipe right, the right ingredients, the right proportion. Everything that comes into your life, there's a degree in there to where you need it. And it's perfecting and it's making you what you ought to be. And understand this too, that God in his promises, he doesn't sit in heaven in 21st century America and go, oh, these people have some things I never thought of. They're going through some trials I never even imagined. Boy, I wish I'd thought of that when I was writing my word. It's never that way. It is always sufficient, always pure. It's always right. Nothing is left out. Nothing is forgotten. Nothing is obsolete. Nothing is just archaic or anything. That's why we are called to know his word and live by his word. And so he talks about his word, saying that it's like silver tried in a furnace of earth, a clay oven most likely, purified seven times. That's a word that talks about the fact that it is completely pure. His word doesn't have any mixture of untruth or any mixture of error or ignorance or anything like that in it at all. You can trust his word. You think about this and you see the great contrast. David told us earlier about the ungodly, that have faded, uh, the godly have faded away and the ungodly now are speaking. And notice what he describes their words as opposed to the Lord's. The Lord's words, well, they're pure words. But man words are lies and they're flattery, which is always negative in the Bible, and hypocritical, that double, double heart and all of that. You don't know who to trust. So never take the situation that you're in, the hurt that you experience, the mistrust that you have toward people because they've let you down and they betrayed you. Don't ever transfer that to God. And I'm afraid a lot of times we do. We transfer those things unto the Lord. His words are pure. They are completely and they are totally trustworthy. And so uh, they are also, because he uses a precious metal, silver, I think uh, he's getting across the point to us, God's word is more valuable than we realize. And uh, we think it's just a thing that's common, it's ordinary, it's everyday, everybody knows that. God said, no, it's like absolutely pure silver. There's value and there's weight to it. Oh, that we would realize how valuable the word of God is. It's not just another thing. It's not just uh, on the same level as you know, some book that you read about investing in Wall Street or another one about how to be a great tennis player or another one that tells you how to be a better dad or a better husband or something like that. God's Word goes way above that because it actually is valuable. Have you ever gone down to, uh, what's that place? Half-Price half Books? Have you ever gone there and uh, taken a, a box of books? And you take them in, you go, oh man, boy, looking at all of these books, they're in good shape. I ought to get quite a bit of money for them. Until they look at them, and they go through them and say, yeah, we don't really need these kind of books. We'll give you a dime. And uh, this one, we'll give you a dollar for that one. I paid 20 bucks for that thing, and you're giving me a dollar? It's kind of like the way life is at a garage sale, isn't it? Where you have all of those things that... You know, somebody comes up and, and you've got a, a $5 price tag and they say, w would you take a quarter for all of that? And, you go, Are you and when the sale starts, you go, no, I wouldn't take that. That was my grandmother's butter dish. It's worth more than that. And you're personally insulted. By the time you get to the end of your garage, say, you, you can have it for a nickel if you want it. And you try to get rid of things. The prices really go down, don't they? 
And so if you can go to a garage sale at the end of the sale, you can get some bargains if there's anything left. Well, that's kind of the way we treat the Word of God so often. It's just another thing. It's been around for a long time. We've heard so many sermons, so many Sunday school lessons. We've read so many devotionals. We've read our yearly Bible plan for, you know, 10 years, 15 years. And we have this thing that, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I've read that before. Yeah, I got it, got it, whatever it is you're saying, Lord, got it. And we uh, kind of forget about it. and We don't take it as seriously as we should because we don't really realize the value of the Word of God. What it is doing to your mind. What it is doing as it feeds your soul. How it is directing you. How it is guiding you. How it is defending you. How it is protecting you. Spurgeon said that the Word of God is like a lion. It doesn't need to be defended. It just needs to be turned loose. It'll defend itself. And that makes me think of what Paul said to the Thessalonians that he wanted them to pray that the word of the Lord would go swiftly and be glorified. In other words, just turn it loose. Is the word of God running loose and free in your life to affect every part of your life? How you think, how you are motivated, what you love, what you hate, what you believe about God, how you treat other people. The word of God really is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so it's very, very valuable like the purest of silver. And uh, they are pure and they are uncontaminated because they've been tested over time. The Bible is so old and so many people have used it in various generations, various continents, during various trials, during all kinds of things. Think of all of the people, even the writers and the people in the Bible stories that we read, much less all of the people who have lived after the Bible is written. Times have not always been prosperous. Times have not always been easy. Times have not always been free. There have been a lot of hardships, a lot of prisons, people being burned at the stake, and yet they always found the Word of God to be their rock and to stabilize them and to get them through what they needed to get through. And it has not lost any of its ability or any of its power. You can trust the Word of God. It has been tried and tested. And uh, they never lose their value. Um, sometimes, you know, every, every other commercial that you hear on uh, TV and maybe a podcast you listen to, buy gold, buy gold, buy gold. And you're like, yeah, it's so high right now. Why would I buy it now? You're supposed to buy low and sell high. Maybe this is the time to sell it. I don't know. But then you have that time when you do sell it. You ever had this experience? And maybe you sell some old coins or something like that. Oh, this will be valuable. It's old. Look at this silver dollar my grandpa had or something like that. And uh, they give you, you know, 75 cents for it. But it was worth a dollar when it was new. Yeah, but we got a lot of those. They're not in circulation right now. And there's not a lot of demand for them. Think about this. The Word of God will never lose its power and it never loses its value. It'll be just as valuable a hundred years from now as it is right now. And it is as valuable right now as it was when David sat down with a pen and wrote these words. It is just as valuable now as Paul when he wrote the book of Ephesians, chained to a Roman soldier and was in prison. And oh, such powerful words. Words that swept continents. Words that overthrew kingdoms words that uh, changed morals and changed societies and all of that it's still the same word and the word of God is alive and it is 
powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So never ever forget that. That's what it means by being silver. They are timeless. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Now how do we take refuge in the Lord? By taking refuge in His Word. Don't ever abandon the Word whenever times get tough. That's when you need it the most. Don't ever abandon the Word when you're not feeling up to snuff. That's when you need it the most. Don't abandon the Word when you fall into sin. That's when you need it the most. It's timeless. And it says that if you will trust in the true Word and believe it to be His Word, then it will be a shield to those who take refuge in the Lord. That's how you run to the Lord, by running to his word okay number three the lord protects his children by direct intervention one of the things that if you will study israel's history both in the bible and also uh, when they started occupying the land you'll find out they are a people that uh, they've seen a lot of miracles and the intervention of god How in the world could a little bitty country like that with such a low population, especially after World War II when a lot of them were uh, survivors of the Holocaust, they didn't have a lot of money, they didn't have a lot of uh, uh, things that we think you have to have to have a government, to have an army and that type of thing. There was an embargo on selling them weapons. And yet in May, I think it was the May 8th of 1949, When they raised the Star of David, they took down the British flag and raised the Star of David. And uh, Arab countries all around them started saying, attack, this is the time. If you were looking at that humanly, you would go, there's no way that little fledgling nation could survive. But they won. And in 1967, when they were attacked again by those Arab nations, they not only won, but they expanded their territory. And uh, it it just seemed like every time they fight, God blesses them, God protects them, and their enemies end up uh, backing up with their tails between their legs. Because God still directly intervenes in our lives. Now, there are sometimes He intervenes in our lives in answer to prayer, and sometimes there are just things that happen to us that we go, oh, why did that happen? But then maybe we look back on it 10 years later and go, man, that was a great thing. I didn't see it at the time, but it was a great thing. God shut a door or God opened a door or God brought someone into your life or God maybe uh, put you through a trial that really made you better and strengthened you. Okay, we look at that and we see the intervention of God in our lives. And um, it goes on to say, you shall keep them. That's an interesting word. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. And he certainly has done that with the Jews, hasn't he? If you ever want a reason to trust God and know if God tells the truth, look at Israel. The Jews have not been wiped out and they've been regathered into their ancestral homeland. And they even speak that ancient language of Hebrew that everybody said was dead. And they've been attacked over and over and over as they are now. And yet the enemies of Israel are not successful in all of that because God keeps his promises to, uh, and preserves them from generation to generation forever. The word keep is interesting in verse 7. What do you think of when you think of keep? When I think of keep, I think of, I've got this newsletter, I think I want to keep it. 
Okay? And so I get it and I fold it up and I put it in my pocket and I take it home and I put it in a drawer where I'll never see it again. And um, that's, that's my definition of keep. Do you want to keep this? Um, you might have a waiter or waitress come over and say, would you like a box for your food? Yeah, I think I'll keep that, that extra food. I'll go home and, and uh, under the illusion that I'm going to eat it. And uh, my dad, you know what he called uh, Tupperware? His name for them, he, he called them fuzzy dishes. Can you guess why? Because when you have leftovers, you hate to throw them away, especially if you were raised during the Depression like my parents were. So you take them and you put them in Tupperware. You seal that and you burp the lid and all that stuff you do and put it in the refrigerator and wait until it's rotten and then you can throw it out. And then it's okay to throw it out. And uh, sometimes I think that's what we have the idea. The Lord keeps us. He just, you know, hangs on to us. And, uh, you know, we're just, we're still around and he hadn't taken us out or anything yet. But that's not what the Hebrew word means. Uh, the same word is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 15. Okay, here's what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, how do you keep a garden? Well, you don't put it in your pocket. You don't put it in a junk drawer. You don't put it in your refrigerator. How do you keep a garden? Well, that means to cultivate. It means to tend to it. Adam would go out there and pull weeds. Adam would go out there and make sure that things were staked up so that they didn't fall over. Adam would make sure things were well watered. Adam would make sure that things were fertilized. That's how you do it. It's the cultivation thing. Now, when you read this and you realize God said he will keep his people, you know what he's saying? I'm cultivating them. They're not just left alone. You're not just stuck out there in the desert. Just do your best and hang on. No, he makes sure you get the water that you need. He makes sure that the weeds are not overtaking you. He makes sure that if you are a tall, kind of a spindly plant, he'll stake you up so that you don't fall over. And he uh, makes sure that the soil is fertilized and amended so that you have all the nutrients that you need. In other words, when the Lord promises to keep and preserve he is promising that he will pay attention to you so that, as it says in John chapter 15, you can be fruitful and that you will glorify the Father by bearing much fruit. Now, sometimes you may be planted in a place that's a little more difficult than someone else is in, and yet the Lord is the one who uh, keeps you. And that's what it said. And I don't know, that just blessed me when I thought about uh, what David said, you shall keep them, O Lord. You cultivate them. You care for them. You have your eye upon them. You don't uh, just plant something and then walk off and come back two months later and go, what happened? You pay attention to it. And if it matters to you and if it's a garden that you're dependent upon for food or something like that, you pay attention to it every single day. At least that's the way my dad did it. Get that rototiller and get out there and get busy on that thing. And um, so we see that meaning there, cultivating, fertilizing, watering, doing all of that, keeping it alive, fruitful, preserving it during the adverse times. How many of you had a higher than normal water bill this past summer? Because you're watering your shrubs and you're watering your grass and those kind of things because the rain wasn't coming. Well, that's what God does and that's what he does with us. He also uses the word preserve in here. And that has more the idea to guard and to watch. 
He is there and he is watching against people that are going to steal your fruit. He's watching for people that would want to destroy you. So he keeps you by cultivating you and giving you everything you need to grow and thrive. You don't have any excuses. And then he preserves you because he watches you and he keeps the, the deer or whatever from coming in and you know, nibbling on you and messing you up. He preserves, he guards and watches. And uh, sometimes it is a synonym for keep but in this case there's a little bit different so God is actively watching actively guarding actively preserving his children especially in adverse times because he knows the times in which we live okay let's finish up number four the Lord is sovereign even over the wicked and uh, so David sums up by saying the wicked prowl on every side does that mean God's not in control when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. So if vileness is exalted, does that mean God said, oh, that's too much for me. Retreat. Never, never, ever. And God can take them out anytime he wants to. And um, he also preserves us in the midst of what all these vile people are doing. And um, I want you to read it just a little bit different because it says the wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted. I think we can read it like this. When vileness is exalted among the sons of men, the wicked prowl on every side. Why? Because there's nothing to restrain them. It's acceptable now. It's expected. And uh, there are a lot of things in our society now that we never thought would happen. But you know what happened? Vileness started being exalted. And so people felt free to do all of their nasty, dirty, perverted, immoral stuff and not be ashamed of it anymore and strut it out in front of you and in front of our children uh, like it's normal and there's something wrong with you. And yet we look at all of that and we say, did God fall off of his throne? Did God topple off of his throne? Has he lost some of his power? Is he getting old? Is he getting a little senile? What is going on? And David would answer that, absolutely not. God knows exactly what they're doing. And uh, there is a judgment that is coming. And there's a time when God is going to speak, just like he did in um, Psalm 12. And so uh, we need to remember anything that does not obey and glorify God is what a vile thing is. The word vile here actually means worthless. And we start pursuing all kinds of worthless things. And sin and immorality and perversion certainly would uh, qualify as that. But it can also be some other things. Uh, when we think about worthless things, think about drugs, alcohol, crime, pornography, lies, perversion... Uh, laziness, injustice, uh, corruption, bullying, all of those kind of things, worthless things. And when that stuff starts getting exalted, and that's what the cool people do, and that's what the in crowd does, then uh, you're going to see all kinds of stuff come up because the enemy and the ungodly will attack when they see weakness instead of boldness. Think about that. When we get weak, when we get quiet, the enemy sees an opportunity to speak and to push the envelope. And I'm so glad God's in control in spite of our weakness. That's always a good thing to lean upon him. Not an excuse, but it is the truth. And I would like for you to turn in your Bible. I want to close by reading a lot of verses out of Psalm 94 to put all of this into perspective so go ahead and turn there in your bible psalm 94 and uh, we'll start reading at verse 3 okay give you a moment 
Psalm 94, verse 3. I mean, this will bless you. You want to be blessed, and uh, th- this will bless you. Lord, verse 3, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech, and they speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity, they boast in themselves. Boy, amen to that. They break in pieces your people. O Lord, and they afflict your heritage. And that's what's happening in Israel now. That's his heritage. Verse 6. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless, the orphans, the defenseless. And yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Look at verse 8. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the uh, ear, will he not hear? And he who formed the eye, will he not see? And he who instructs uh, the nations, will he not correct? And of course he will. And he who teaches them knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days in the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. Do you think anybody out there realizes that in all of their strutting around doing all of their wickedness, you're headed toward a pit? Let that sink in. A pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people. Somebody say amen to that. Nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to righteousness and all the upright in heart will follow it. And who will rise up uh, for me against the evildoers? Who will stand for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would have uh, settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous... And condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense. And my God the rock of my refuge. He brought on them their own iniquity. And shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. You know what that's a term for? It's just simply saying this, no matter how things look or how bad it gets, God's already won. It's just a matter of time. 
Oh, that we could be faithful and oh, that we could look and find our comfort and our strength in the Word of God like David instructs us to because the Word of God is precious, valuable, and it is always true and it is pure. So when you look at the world around you, when you hardly even want to watch TV or watch the news because it's so discouraging, so awful, so depressing, just remember Psalm 94. God will deal with them and he'll do it in his time and in his way, but it will be done. And you can rest assured in him. May we pray together? Lord, as we look at a world around us, at a society that's falling apart, and we see wickedness going unrestrained, like weeds growing in a garden, they overtake, and they spread, and they grow, and they seem to thrive. Help us to remember what your word says. They're heading toward a pit, and they're going to have their own wickedness turn on them, and you will cut them off because you always triumph. May we rest in your word, trust in your word, and realize that whether it's about us or about our children or about our grandchildren and all of our worries and all of our anxieties, may we take everything to God in prayer because you hear us and we thank you that you watch over us. We thank you that you cultivate us. We thank you that you are strengthening us. And we thank you that you are keeping and preserving us, as David said. So we ask you to build us up, strengthen our faith and our confidence in you and in your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you'll take your uh, newsletter out, the one that 